Let's go. 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 Let's for you right now um, i'm currently driving home and zach is having some wi-fi issues so a lot of this is going to be off the top of the head but we've done so much research now that it comes second nature to us so we're going to jump into the west region um, that's gonzaga's region with that um you want to start 16 seats that have a playing game yeah, so we got Fairleigh Dickinson and Prairie View A&M going to, um, to Dayton to play in the first four. Probably never heard of either team, and rightfully so. Both of them aren't that good. Um, they actually ranked 208th and 209th in Ken Palm, so very even matchup. Um, Prairie View's more of an offensive team. Fairleigh Dickinson doesn't really do anything that well. Um, both teams' defenses are pretty poor. But I think Fairleigh Dickinson just has a little bit better offense overall. Um, they're actually top five in three-point percentage uh, in the country, so I think that's going to barely put them over the top here. And a nice competitive game to kick off uh, the, the tournament, actually. This is the first game, so Tuesday at 640 uh, Eastern time. So nice way to kick it off with two terrible teams. But other than that, it'll be fun. Um, so I'll go with Fairleigh Dickinson to face Gonzaga. Uh, which I don't think Gonzaga will be worrying about too much. Yeah, well, at least this one I think will be a lot more entertaining than NC Central and North Dakota State. But, um, yeah, this isn't a team that Gonzaga really has to worry about. Um, I'll talk a little bit about Gonzaga. Uh, So they've sort of went through the season and and dominated, really. uh, Very under the radar, uh, which usually happens because – Coast to playing late. Most of the media is on the East Coast. They don't talk enough about them. Um, and this year, their their conference was really down. St. Mary's wasn't what they normally were, uh, despite winning the conference tournament. Uh, San Diego, San Francisco, uh, they play hard, but just don't have the talent that Gonzaga has. Uh, so I think that's part of the reason you didn't hear much about them. But no mistake about it, they have a very very good team. Uh, starts all with uh, Josh Perkins at point guard. Uh, this is his fifth year. Got injury exception, so uh, bringing a lot of leadership there. Been through a ton of different situations. Uh, and like we've always said, as tournament time comes, point guard play is extremely important. And he's up there at the top of the class. Um, and then shooting guard, they have Zach Norvell, um, who is a, a streaky shooter but can get really hot. Uh, lefty has been playing pretty well. And then uh, just their hustle guy. Uh, every team needs it, their glue guy. And then the two big names from Gonzaga to really keep your eye on. If you haven't seen them play, um, Rui Hachimara and then 
uh, Brandon Clark. These two in the front court are very dynamic. Brandon Clark is, I think, third in effective field goal percentage. Uh, just very, very efficient offensively. Gets to his spots, extremely athletic. Um, he's kind of old for a senior. I think he's turning 23, or he's not 23 already. It's ancient. Um, yeah. Um, but between the two of them, they're going to cause a lot of problems in that West region. Uh, with Brandon Clark, um, especially him on defense, he is very quick but has good size. I think he's around 6'8", uh, but very athletic. And then Rui has some a little, a little thicker, uh, a little more strength for him. So he can go body up with the bigger bigger forwards. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the majority of their team. That's where they get all of their scoring from. Um, a ton of their minutes come from those five. But they have all the makings of a national champion. Yeah, they have plenty of talent on that team, and they're definitely going to win that first game. And uh, we can save the rest about them for their next round matchup, which I think is going to be a lot better than the 16-seed matchup. Uh, so the next game we have is Baylor and Syracuse. Uh, Syracuse is the 9-seed – or, sorry, 8-seed. Baylor is the 9-seed. I have Syracuse, uh, so I can go first with this one. Uh, so Syracuse offensively has had struggles all year. We talked about it pretty much since day one when we covered the ACC. Um, they returned – Everybody, for the most part, from their team last year added a couple good freshmen, a shooter in Buddy Beheim, uh, Jalen Carey, and Elijah Hughes has been a huge uh, huge part of their offense this year. Really, without him, I'm not sure that they would be in this position. I think they'd be a lot closer to the bubble than they are. Uh, he's carried them a lot in, in some big games. But um, assuming Tyus Battle's healthy, which I think he will be, I think missing the ACC tournament was purely precautionary, but... Um, this is a team that definitely needs to pick it up offensively in order to make a, a deep run in the tournament, like I think a lot of people thought they could to start the year. But uh, it's it's really been the three-point percentage that they've struggled. They're only shooting 33% as a team, just 244th in the country. They don't shoot it well from the free throw line. They turn it over too much. Um, I think a lot of that comes from the fact they don't really have a true point guard. I don't think Frank Howard is, is really a point guard. I think he's more an off-ball combo guard. Uh, so him running point and controlling the team, I think, isn't the best, and then when he when he's not doing that, it's usually Tyus who's just hunting shots because um, that's the way he needs to play for them to be successful. So the lack of a true point guard, I think, really hurts them. But the Syracuse zone is just a terrible thing to see in your bracket um, for a different team. Like a, a team like Baylor is going to dread seeing Syracuse. Uh, they Syracuse is, I think, second in the country in blocks uh, behind Duke and. Pretty good at turning it over just because they read your eyes and long arms. Very athletic in the zone. Uh, can cause a lot of problems. So this is going to be a type of dog fight where first team in the 50 is probably going to have a good chance to win this one. Yeah, this is going to be a really uh, – it's a very competitive game, but it's going to be ugly. Uh, both teams struggle with turnovers. Uh, it's going to be tough for to Baylor to adjust uh, to that zone. Uh, they brought they, – their offense is extremely slow. Uh, they don't like to get up and down. They like to control tempo and, and really uh, try to get good shots. They not necessarily are taking good shots all the time, uh, but that's the goal of their offense is to slow it down, um, use their size to try to get the ball inside the paint because they're not a very good shooting team. Uh, but with 
with that slow tempo, he can uh, struggle with turnovers at times. So it'll be interesting to see if they're struggling with turnovers and they have that slow tempo, uh, they're limiting their shot opportunities. So like you said, it's going to be a really, really low scoring game. Uh, but it's all going to be determined by who can take care of the ball. And um, it, it's really a toss-up in my eyes on who's the better team at taking care of the ball. Yeah, so this game has two uh, two aspects of it where each team is polar opposites from the other, um, and they both deal with Syracuse's defense and Baylor's offense. So Baylor is the second-best offensive rebounding team. They rebound 38% of their misses. Syracuse, obviously, playing a zone is a, is a pretty poor defensive rebounding team. It's mostly just a staple of a zone. You, you're rebounding in space. That um, you're not you don't lock to your man. There's no one you can keep an arm on to box out. So it really requires a lot of a little bit of extra effort and attention to detail. Um, so they're ranked 335th in college basketball. Only 33% of the misses are theirs. Um, so so Baylor's much better rebounding offensively, and that can be a big problem for Syracuse, giving Baylor extra possessions. Uh, even this Baylor team isn't as big as they usually are. Um, at least like when I think of Baylor, I think of a long couple big guys like the. Florida State type model, um, but just getting those extra possessions, I think, is going to be crucial in this game. And then the other aspect is more of just a funny aspect to me. But uh, Baylor gets blo- gets blocked on twelve percent of their shots, which is like about as bad as it gets in college basketball. And Syracuse, like I said, second best uh, in in blocks a game. So um, that's interesting. That doesn't really have an impact in the game, in my opinion. But I just thought that was funny. So really, the team that can rebound the best um, when Baylor has the ball. I think is the key to this game. With that being said, I just think Syracuse has more talent offensively. I think they have a better defense, and um, I, I just think they're going to be able to pull this one out in a, in a nice hard-fought battle. Assuming Tyus is healthy and good to go, if he's not, I think this game requires a little bit closer attention. Yeah, and I think because Baylor's struggling lately, uh, they're 4-7 and seven the last 11 games to end the season. Uh, it's just They've been struggling to score. Um, and the biggest problem with their defense is they have the defensive capability to be a really good defensive team. It's just they foul so much. Um, they uh, put guys to the free throw line too much, uh, giving them easy, easy, easy shots. Um, and a lot of times if a good shooter sees a free throw go in, uh, they, they get their confidence up and they're, they're able to really um, get going offensively. So uh, the fact that Baylor fouls a lot uh, and doesn't take care of the ball, um, despite their offensive rebounding, uh, I, I think Syracuse wins this one. All right, so the next one will bring us to our 5-12 matchup, which I think is the best matchup of the first round in Marquette and Murray State. Uh, who do you have in this one, Michael? I have, um, I'll talk about Murray State here. Obviously, the team starts with John Moran. He's been outstanding. Um, I think a, a stat that really jumped out to me was his assist rate to um, his turnover rate. I think it, it was he leads the country in assist rate. I think it's over thirty-one percent. Um, just off the top of my head, I think Fif- it's fifty-one. Fifty-one, way off. <laughs> um, so that's incredible to think about. Uh, a lot of point guards in Power 5 conferences will have assist rates um, in the 20s. So the fact that he's 
um, in the 50s is really incredible. For example, um, Marcus Howard is 27.4, which is 121st in the country, so your average point guard, and Jaw is 51.6, which is by far number one in the country. Yeah, so I mean, his ability to really get guys involved um, and move the ball around, break down defenses, and make life so much easier for his teammates um, is really impressive. Uh, but as a team, I mean, a lot of that comes from their up and down tempo. They like to play up and down a little bit. Um, they're and because of that, they they're able to finish around the rim pretty well. Uh, they have a high two point percentage, uh, field goal percentage, um, and then defensively, they they really guard the three. Uh, so, which is really important in this game, especially playing against Marquette, who is strictly a three point shooting team. They have some of the best shooters in the nation uh, and some of the highest volume shooting in the nation. So being able to defend that three uh, is going to be really important. Um, and one of the biggest advantages that they can have into this to this tournament. Um, so I, I really like this team. Um, I think Darnell Cowart, I think that's his name. Yep. Um, he's an outstanding rebounder. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting matchup with him against Theo John um, down low, who can really get that advantage, as well as, uh, um, or sorry, Tevin Brown. So Tevin Brown is another good good player that they have, uh, starts for them, and then Shaq Buchanan. Those four are really the their team, um, and I really like those four against Marquette. I think they fit perfectly against Marquette. Um, so you want to talk a little bit more about them? Yeah, so Marquette, like you said, they're all about shooting threes, um, and they really go as Marcus Howard goes. I think we talked last time we talked about Marquette, I mentioned that when they've lost Marquette, or Marcus Howard hasn't been the leading scorer in the, in the game, um, and he's coming off uh, a pretty poor performance against Seton Hall where he also got nicked up pretty good uh, with a nice little wrist injury that definitely affected him, and he had probably his least efficient game of the season, maybe even of his career. Um, and just really struggled, and he struggled against St. John or yeah, St. John's um, and Seton Hall. He hasn't played great against in their matchups this season either. So uh, I think Murray State fits the mold of those teams, like St. John's and Seton Hall, uh, athletic, physical guards, um, and and I think the key to this game is going to be Jaw not shooting, but getting to the hoop and trying to get Theo John in foul trouble. So Marquette's defense is not great, um, but when Theo John's on the bench, it's significantly worse. Um, they're just a, an average defense, in my opinion. Um, but when Theo John's on the bench, they're a little bit below average there. So can can Jaw get to the hoop, and can he draw fouls? Can he control the game? Is the mo- is the spotlight and moment going to be too big, or can he handle it? Um, and on the other hand, I think Marcus Howard has to do the same thing. Can he handle the moment? Can he control the team? Can he find good shots for other people? Can he find good shots for himself? Um, and I think that... I think Marquette's a good team. I think they're well-coached, and I think they have good players. But they're backing into this tournament, losing five of their last six games. Marcus Howard doesn't look 100% healthy to me. He doesn't look right. Um, and I think Murray State is primed for an upset right here uh, with a big game from Ja and Shaq Buchanan knocking down open jumpers. Um, so I think this is a good 5-12 upset here. Yeah, no, I agree. I've been back and forth on this one. Um, if Marquette was playing like average to normal um, – uh, I think Marquette wins this game, but I think because how poorly they've been, um, the injuries are, are definitely playing a factor into it. Um, 
So I, I do think Murray State wins this, especially uh, to give a little more perspective on how good a defensive team they are around the three-point line. Uh, they're fourth in the nation. Uh, I think they're I think they're holding teams to under 31% or right around there uh, from three. And that's going to be huge because that's the majority of their shot, Marquette's shots. Even better than that, 28.5%. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, if Marquette shoots 28, 29% from three, I think Murray State wins this game. Yeah, Marquette Marquette usually shoots 39%, um, which is top 10 in the country, and Murray State holds opponents under 30. So that's a huge disparity. Yeah. What's the percentage of points that Marquette gets from three-pointers? Uh, 36.4%, which is top 70 in the country. Only so yeah, I mean, only 43% from two and then 20% from the free throw line. So 43% from two is like, teams are usually about 50% from two. So basically their points are coming from three-pointers and free throws. Yeah, and that's important um, to note because Murray State, again, is a team that doesn't foul that much. Uh, and if they're taking away the three plus the foul line, they're going to have to get creative how they're scoring Marquette. So, yeah, I do like Murray State in this one. All right, so that will so we'll both pick the upset in that one. Um, and that will bring us to our 4-13 matchup, Florida State and Vermont, in a pretty intriguing game. Uh, so Michael has Vermont – or, sorry, Florida State. So you want to kick it off with the higher seed here, or better team? Yeah, so um, Florida State had a great ACC tournament. Um, they beat Virginia um, – that beat Virginia Tech was that the other one team yep um, and then lost to Duke by 10 in the, in the championship uh, the game was probably a bigger disparity than 10 but um, they've been playing well um, really led by Capigelli uh, in my opinion I think he's their best player right now the way he's playing uh, he's playing with some confidence he's really moving around offensively playing inside out and really helping them Offensively, because they, they're not the greatest offensive team. Um, they're really good at getting to the free throw line uh, because a lot of their game is driving kick, driving kick, driving kick. Uh, rarely will they, I mean, not rarely, but they'll take their threes, but it's not what they want to get to. They don't have a ton of good shooters. It's really just MJ Walker and uh, PJ Savoy that can really shoot it, uh, although Capigalli. It's been really good lately, uh, but they're going to try to overwhelm teams with their length, um, their size, really try to get out and turn them over and uh, alter a lot of shots. So their defense t- turns into their offense, and if they get really active defensively, then they're scoring 70, 80 points. Uh, if their defense isn't great, they're not getting those turnovers, then they're going to really struggle to score. Um, so their their overall game is really predicated on their defense. Yeah. So for um, for Vermont, do you have any good comparisons for Anthony Lamb? I was just trying to think of one off the top of my head, and I couldn't get anything too good. Um, he's tough. Is it, what's his? He's at what? Like six six. six <laughs> yeah. So he's at a, He's kind of like a smaller version of Juan Morgan. Was the best one I could come up with. Just real quick, at least. Okay. Um, I'll think a little bit more about it while you talk. All right, so 
so Vermont plays through Anthony Lamb. Um, like I said earlier, I think he could start and be one of the top two players on like 95% of the teams in the country. Uh, he had a massive game against UMBC in their conference championship game, and he really is everything for this team. Um, they can throw it to him on the post. He can back to the basket, make a move, and score. They can throw it to him on the three-point line. He can break his defender down, go by. He can knock down an open jumper. He can create his own jump shot. I mean, he really can do pretty much everything. Um, but uh, other than that, they just space the floor with shooters for the most part. Um, they have these three brothers, the Duncan brothers. Uh, one of them, Ernie, is a 43% three-point shooter. Um, the other one's 36%. He can shoot it pretty good. And then Steph Smith, who's their guard, he can shoot it also at 36%. But this team, (laughs) I think Florida State might be the worst team that Vermont could have drawn. Um, I think they would have been much luckier to get a 12 seed and draw a 5 seed than be 13 and have to face Florida State. Um, Even if they were a 14 seed facing the 3, I think they have a better shot. But um, Vermont's running out of lineup where usually Anthony Lamb plays center. And at 6'6", he's going to have a hell of a time trying to guard Cabin Gelly and uh, Chris Kumaji and just all, literally any big body Florida State wants to throw out there. Um, but I think, so Cabin Gelly, I think, is the key to this game for Florida State because I think he's going to, I don't think Kumaji can guard Lamb, so I think he will be on the bench for most of the game. Um, and it'll be Cabin Gelly out there, which is the case usually. Um, and I think Cabin Gelly and Lamb would be a lot of fun to watch. That's uh that's two of the better players in college basketball that a lot of people won't talk about. Um, so, again, for me, Vermont is a is a pretty efficient offense. They're top 100. Um, they don't do anything really well. They just pretty much play through Anthony Lamb. If he doesn't have a good game, they're not going to play well. But um, the best thing Vermont does, which is amazing to me, um, but they're the number two defensive rebounding team in the country. Uh, so they really limit second chances, which is huge for them. And that, if you... If you think of a team that's 6'6", but they're starting center, to limit offensive rebounds, you're probably having all five guys box out and all five guys rebound. That's exactly what Vermont does. I watched multiple times uh, in the UMBC game, conference championship, the ball hit the ground at least two or three times before uh, somebody got the rebound a few times. So um, that's like a coach's dream when they teach that in basketball, which drives me nuts sometimes. But um, I think Florida State, their length and their ability to just – affect everything that Anthony Lamb wants to do is going to be hard for Vermont. Uh, Florida State's playing 10 to 12 guys a game. They're all athletic. They can all, they all have different skill sets um, and they're just going to cause a lot of problems. I think Florida State's a significantly better team than Vermont. Um, I think they're poised for a pretty good run here in March. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like Vermont too. It sucks that they drew up through. States. Yeah, give me like Kansas or and literally anyone else. Just let them play anyone else. Yeah, anyone that doesn't have that much size. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Vermont, I think it is shocking to hear the rebounding stat, but at the same time, Vermont plays with so much effort all the time. Um, and defense is really, or rebounding is just effort. It's not, effort is a skill in my mind, but it's not something that really teach is sort of embedded in this team. Um, they play really, really hard, and that's what's going to keep the game close. Um, but I think Kevin Gelly's going to overwhelm Anthony Lamb and just with his size and quickness. Um, but yeah, I think Florida State um, wins a close one um, for most of the game, but I think they they don't sweat this one too too much. 
So our next game will be the 6-11 matchup. Um, Buffalo is waiting the winner of Arizona State, St. John's, and Dayton. Uh, who do you have? You have Arizona St. John's, right? Yeah. So you want to talk about that first four game quick? Yeah. Um, so Arizona State and St. John's, two teams that aren't playing their best basketball right now. Uh, very, very inconsistent teams. If you look through their schedule, um, both teams have some real long stretches of inconsistent basketball. Um, there was actually a point where um, on the when I was doing my research on the schedule, I wrote down a confusing stretch for Arizona State. Uh, they would beat Kansas and then lose to Princeton the next day. At home. A couple days later. At home. Um, so it's just very confusing teams. You, you never know what team you're going to get. Um, but with that being said, there's a ton of guys that I really, really like on both teams. Arizona State, um, the two guys that come to mind for them, um, Lou Dort and Cheatham. Um, uh, those two guys play with a ton of effort. Um, Dort is a freshman. Cheatham, I think, is a senior. junior. I think he's a senior. I'll senior. look, though. I'll look. Um, but those two guys really lead uh, by example with their effort. Uh, and a lot of times the teams will follow through um, and play with how, how they're playing. Uh, they play with a lot of heart as well. Uh, but sometimes that when their shots aren't falling, uh, they really get stagnant on offense. So they'll struggle to score points. Um, but it's all they're all predicated on those two, uh, how they're playing offensively. So against St. John's, I think they match up pretty well with them. St. John's is pretty small. It's really Shmori Pons, um, Mustafa Heron, and then LG Figueroa, Figueroa um, that are basically their backcourt. Uh, those are those their three most important guys. They all need to be playing well for St. John's to win. If one of them's not playing well, it's going to be really difficult. If two or three of them aren't playing well, then they have no chance. Um, so I think with Arizona State's length, um, their coaching in early, I, I do like um, Arizona State in this one. Yeah, I'm actually really glad this game. You don't, no one has to pick this game for brackets because I this game is really a coin flip for me. I think uh, I think they're basically like the same type of team playing each other. Um, they're gonna feel like they're scrimmaging themselves for the most part, like. Uh, Shamori Pons has a lot of Remy Martin, or I guess I should say Remy Martin has a lot of Shamori Pons in him. Um, and then Dort and Hirona are similar. Um, Figueroa and uh, Cheatham are somewhat similar, but Figueroa has a little bit more of an offensive game. But um, yeah, these I, I think Arizona State gets it done just barely as well. I think it's a really close game, like a last possession type game. But I'm taking Hurley over Chris Mullen all day long. That has nothing to do with Duke either, I promise. <laughs> no, I, I I think Hurley is a much better coach, uh, and that's a lot of the advantage that Arizona State has. Uh, but yeah, this is going to be definitely the most entertaining first four games, uh, the sort of playing games. This is going to be the best one for sure. Yeah, so that one's Friday at uh, 9.40, I think it t- or sorry, Wednesday at 9.40 it tips. Um, so yeah, so I have Buffalo, who's waiting the winner of that game. Um, Buffalo... When you think of Buffalo, you, I, at least for me, I just think of how loaded their starting five is and how they have a lot of scores. Like 
at one point, Nick Perkins was their leading scorer this year, and he was coming off the bench. Um, he still plays starter minutes, but uh, I think their two best players are Jeremy Harris and C.J. Massenburg. Harris started the season with injuries um, from the offseason. He kind of carried those into the regular season, started out super cold from the three-point line. Uh, he's he reminds me a lot of RJ. He's also a lefty. Um, he's an inconsistent three point shooter with a good stroke. I think RJ's the same way. I think they're just have to fine tune their jump shots a little bit, but they're very similar in that aspect. Um, he obviously can't finish and get to the hoop as well as RJ, but he does have a lot of similar parts of his offense to RJ Barrett. Uh, and then Massenberg's just a freak. He's a he's an undersized guard, but he can get his shot off whenever he wants it. He takes big shots. He hits big shots. He plays defense. I mean. He does everything you need him to do. Um, he's about as consistent as it gets. Uh, but the one thing that scares me with Buffalo is they're actually third in the country in average possession time, um, meaning that they have the third fewest time with the ball of any team in the country. Um, they average 14 seconds, which probably sounds longer than people think when they think of quick possessions, but that's like factoring in 25-second possessions every now and again. So realistically, that's pretty short. Um, having the ball for 14 seconds means it's really like a one pass and jack something up. Um, so I think their inconsistent shot uh, or inconsistency to, to realize good shots can be their downfall sometimes. Um, it's been mind-blowing to me that some teams or some analysts have picked Buffalo into the Final Four. I understand this region is a little weird, but I think that's a little bit of a stretch. I think Buffalo is a very good team, but they're going to have to play near perfect near perfect to get to the final four, I think, uh, for, for for at least four games in a row. Um, they've answered the bell. They've knocked off Syracuse. They hung tough with Marquette when Marquette was really good uh, playing at Marquette. I know they ended up losing that game by almost 20, but they were in it the whole way. Um, and they, they've responded pretty nicely in conference and, and hung on to beat some teams that really threw their best punches at them. Uh, defensively, they're really good at guarding the three-point line. Um, and they're just, again, another... They're a top 30 defense overall. They don't do anything great besides guard the three-point line, but they're good in every other aspect. Um, so the three-point line, I think, for Buffalo is the key because they guard it well, but they don't shoot it well from three. Um, so an inconsistent performance from three could really hurt them in a game like this. Um, as If they can't guard the three-point line either, they're going to struggle. But uh, I think they're going to need to make a couple jump shots. With that being said, I do think they're better than both these 11 seeds. Um, I think Buffalo is poised to win one, maybe two games this year. Yeah, absolutely. Buffalo, um, they're definitely their starting five. That's their team. They have guys that come off the bench, but production-wise, it's it's those five. And it really is coming from all five of them, Um, especially Nick Perkins, Massenburg, and Harris, like you said. Um, And when they play against Arizona State, I think that – that works out well for them, either team really. But um, since we were talking about Arizona State winning, um, Arizona State doesn't shoot the ball that well. They're pretty average, just right in the middle of the pack with with shooting from three. Uh, but they're extremely good at getting to the to the foul line. The only issue with that is they shoot so poorly from the free throw line that it kind of averages out to what a normal team would score from the free throw line. So I think it really fits Buffalo well that they don't have to get out to the three-point line unless someone's getting hot. Like, Dort can get really hot at times from the three-point line. Remy. But, yeah, I guess Remy Martin can get really hot as well as Rob Edwards. Uh, Rob Edwards really carried them through a couple games. Yeah. Uh, that, especially that Kansas game. Yep. 
Um, so if if those guys aren't hitting, uh, Buffalo easily walks through this game. But if someone, one of those two guys, are really getting hot and shooting the ball, uh, well, Buffalo's gonna have their hands full. But at the same time, Arizona State they foul a ton on the defensive end. They try to contest everything. They play really physical, but that, I think that plays into Buffalo's hands. They love to play physical. They love to get up and down and try to um, score through contact and get those and ones and really get the, the crowd into it. So I agree. I got Buffalo in this one. We really got to start disagreeing. This is getting boring. <laughs> <laughs> I think we got a, a, a game down the line here. I can see a little possible disagreement, mostly because I'm going to play devil's advocate. But um, – so the next one we have is the three fourteen matchup with Texas Tech and I just looked at the team and forgot it. Northern Kentucky. Um, Northern Kentucky, yep. Uh, I have no idea who I have in this game. <laughs> I, <I'm, laughs> I have Northern Kentucky. I was about to start talking about all of them. <laughs> uh, all right, so <laughs> Texas Tech is the number one defensive team in the country, um, number two in effective field goal percentage. Number two in two-point defense. Um, Three-point defense is pretty bad for them. They're 16th, which I think is probably their worst ranking of anything, um, <laughs> which is pretty funny to say that out loud. But um, the one the one thing I do in all seriousness caution with Texas Tech is their ability to defensive rebound. Um, they're a, a pretty much dead average in the nation, which I would say is bad for such a good defensive team. Uh, if you look at a couple, I was just looking at a few of their games recently uh mostly the west virginia one because i still can't really was still shocked they lost that game in the big 10 or big 12 tournament um they gave up 19 offensive rebounds to west virginia uh, which led to a lot of second chance points Uh, west virginia actually turned that ball over or turned the ball over 17 times and still pretty much controlled the whole game uh, which i think is shock was very shocking to me at least um but if you look at the recent games uh texas tech has scored a lot more but they've also given up a lot more points I just want to caution that that's not they're not playing worse defensively. There's just a lot more possessions in those games because Texas Tech has really ramped up their offense and started playing quicker um, and getting out and running transition and everything. So there's just been more possessions in those games. Um, the points per possession is still pretty much identical for Texas Tech's defense. So don't panic too much if you see like, oh, they give up 73 to Iowa State, 80 to Oklahoma State, whatever. Um, the points per possession are still pretty much dead on. Um, so offensively, I can't. I don't know how many times we've said this, but they're literally all Jared Culver, um, and that was their downfall at one point. Now it's turned into a little bit of a bonus because those other guys have finally caught up a little bit. Um, guys like Matt Mooney and Davide Moretti have started to score and shoot it a lot better. Moretti, Moretti's at forty-eight percent from three right now, which is absurd, and he shoots a lot of them. Um, Jared Culver has been a freak offensively; and just keeps being a freak. I think they're still looking for that third scorer. I think Moretti's filled the role of the second scorer. I think they're still needing Matt Mooney to step up and be the third the third guy um, to take them over the next level. But, yeah, Texas Tech is – I think that, that loss to West Virginia is more of a fluke than anything. I think they just didn't prepare correctly for that game. Um, but I think they're going to be ready to go in this game. Northern Kentucky's no joke. They got – they're a good mid-major. They've been here before, um, and they're going to definitely bring their A game. So Texas Tech has to be ready. But I, I like Chris Beard as a coach a lot. I think Jared Culver is a top three guy in uh, Naismith Player of the Year, and I think they'll be ready to go. Yeah, um, this game I'm scared of uh, after diving really deep into Northern Kentucky. Um, I'm scared for Texas Tech in this game. 
just because so the way Northern Kentucky likes to play, uh, they like to get up and down. They're 85th in possession length, um, so they're, it's just under 17 seconds of possession. And like we said in the Buffalo um, bit there, that's quick. Um, and they're, they're really getting up and down. And what's, what makes it really scary for me is their ability to shoot the three uh, and, and shoot overall as a team. Their five starters all can shoot it and shoot it a lot. Um, I mean, outside of really Jalen Tate, he's more of a point forward. Um, I mean, his assist rate's at 31% as a, as a small forward, which is insane. Um, better than Marcus Howard, as we talked about, um, and better than a lot of, a lot of really good point guards out there. He's, he's their main playmaker. Um, but everyone is shooting just about 40% from three um, in their starting lineup. So Drew McDonald's are really their go-to guy. Uh, he's a 6'8", stretch kind of four, uh, maybe even a stretch five, because they don't, they don't necessarily play with a true center, so um, he sort of fills that role. But him, Jalen Tate, um, and those two guys, are they're both over 40%, but... Zanae Robinson and Tyler Sharp are at um, 39, and they're both at 39% from three. Um, all have shot over 100 threes, so they're consistently shooting them, and I think this really um, can attack Texas Tech's defense without having it to the heart of it. So Texas Tech is really good at stopping the drive, forcing tough shots, but if you have five guys out there that can shoot, um, that's dangerous against even that good of a defense. So, um, great shooting team, and they're a really good offensive rebounding team as well. So another thing that plays against Texas Tech, um, they're 98th in offense rebound percentage, which doesn't sound great, um, but I mean, they're getting 31% of the offensive rebounds. So they're getting quite a few extra possessions out of that. And typically with offensive rebounds, it's a grab the rebound, either a quick put, put back or kick it out for a three. And that's where they can get dangerous. Um, the problem with them where I think Texas Tech ultimately wins is that they're not great defensively. They foul a ton. Um, they defend the three well, but I think Texas Tech is um, spreading the floor so much it's going to be difficult for them to spread, to co completely guard everything. Um, and they don't really have the size to deal with Tariq Owens or Odase. So, um, Despite how nerve-wracking this game is going to be, I think Texas Tech squeezes out a really, really close game here. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because um, Texas Tech hasn't really played a great three-point shooting team all year. Um, Big 12 doesn't really have any teams that are that good three-point-wise. Um, I was just looking at a few of them, and they're holding like teams to eight, nine threes a game, and they're shooting a high percentage, but Texas Tech's still winning those games by 20 and 30 points, which I think is still absurd. I don't understand that at all. Um, but I think Texas Tech is just better. And I think, so Chris Beard came from um, Arkansas Little Rock, who was a 14 seed a few years ago and knocked off Purdue as a three seed. So he has a lot of experience in these 3-14 games um, from the other side of things. So I think he's, I think that's a little added bonus that he'll be able to lock in with this team and get them focused in the right spot. Um, and I think they're, they have enough experience. Uh, they haven't played together a ton, but the guys on their team, they have enough, like, basketball experience and they have a lot of seniors um, to offset Moretti and Culver who are both sophomores and kind of new to this whole like go-to guy type thing um, so I think I think 
Texas Tech will be fine in the end, but like you said, it, it'll be closer than people want it to be. Yeah, and I just want to put this out, get it recorded, that I'm not going to be shocked if Northern Kentucky wins this game. Um, very similar to Northern Iowa. I don't want to admit how long ago that was. Um, <laughs> when they beat... <laughs> when they beat Kansas in the tournament and just really just shot the ball so well and it's something that the Big 12 hasn't really seen it's a good shooting team what was that um, guy's name so, like Ali Farouk Manesh or something like that yeah it was something insane he's the one that banked the sucker in at the wing I remember that game like it was yesterday yeah so I mean I wouldn't be shocked if the exact same game happens um, where Texas Tech is just shocked that all of a sudden, they just hit four threes in a row. They're down eight within the first two minutes um, and just playing catch-up from there. So I just want to put that out and get it on record. Um, that I, I do believe in Northern Kentucky here, but Texas Tech, I think, has enough. Uh, and like you said with Chris Beard, that, I think that's going to be um, – they pull it out at the end. Yeah, so it'll be entertaining to say the least. Um, that's what we want. That's all we're asking for. Just entertaining games. Because um. we had a, um, the ESP or RPI was through the roof. All right, so we're going to pick it back up with the 7-10 matchup uh, in the West. We go Florida-Nevada. Played at a nice little neutral site in Des Moines, Iowa. Really split the difference there. Um, so Florida is Michael's team, so I'm going with Nevada. Um, Shockingly, Michael didn't pick Nevada to talk about. It's really shocking, honestly. But Nevada offensively, uh, well, first, I think the first thing to talk about Nevada is how old they are. They just have tons of experience um, with Jordan Caroline, the Martin Twins. That's really the main experience. But then um, they throw in some nice other pieces in there to guys like Trey Porter, who's younger, and Jordan Brown, um, who's – Jordan Brown's a freshman, right? Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, so, uh, Nevada is, <laughs> as we've talked about a lot, they struggle to to understand good shots. Um, but with that being said, their efficiency rating offensively is twenty sixth in the country, so still pretty good. They don't turn it over at all. Um, top ten in the country in that, and uh, they're pretty good at at getting decent buckets from two. But it's really the force threes that have been their problem. Um, and it's, it's isolation force threes that, that bother me at least if I was a fan of Nevada. Um, so I think the, the key to Nevada's tournament run kind of be the same thing as last year. Either one of those, one of those guys, like specifically Martin, one of the Martin brothers has to get red hot, um, and carry the team or, and the, the one that would probably do it would be Caleb. Cody's more of the facilitator. Um, but if it's not that case, then they need to share the ball on offense and really play more of a, a collaborative effort offensively um, and, and get Jordan Caroline to be the, the main target of the offense because he's he's about as good as it gets with energy level and uh, just ability and size and everything. He's a matchup nightmare. Uh, he's like the Mountain West version of Zion, I guess is how you could say it. Um, but, yeah, and then defensively, Nevada, again, another, like, average D1 defensive team. Um, they're top top 40, but I think those numbers are a little bit skewed. The Mountain West doesn't have the best offenses in the world. Um, they don't do anything well, but they definitely don't guard the three-point line too well. Um, just an average three-point defense. And 
Uh, don't really turn people over either. But, uh, yeah, other than that, I got I don't have a whole lot else on Nevada. Um, once Michael gives you a breakdown, I'll talk a little bit more about it. But So, Michael, you have Florida. Yeah, so Florida is a, um, a team that's been very confusing. Uh, if you look, look, if you pull up their schedule, it's uh, lights up like a Christmas tree. Uh, it's like they win two games, lose, lose a game, win two games, lose a game um, pretty much all season long. They had a pretty tough stretch from beginning of January to the beginning of February. So for like a month, um, they, they really struggled in the SEC um, conference play. But they're starting to play a little bit better. Uh, they ended the season struggling, but in the SEC, uh, the SEC tournament, they played a lot better, beating Arkansas and LSU for a second time uh, in the year, and then lost to um, Auburn, as we talked about last night, um, with Andrew Nemhart getting hammered and not getting a foul called um, at the buzzer there. But uh, their team, their style of play is we're going to slow it down. Um, they play even slower than Liberty, uh, really, really slow, trying to, to work it around. Um, throughout the season, it's kind of been trying to figure each other out. With Nemhart at point, then with um, Jalen Hudson, Kevon Allen, um, who is the go-to guy um, with those two, trying to really sort out their roles, I think took a long time to figure out. Uh, but they look like they're try they're starting to figure it out. They're playing a lot better. They played themselves into the tournament rather than backing it in, like a lot of teams in this tournament this year. Um, so with with the slow tempo, um, they often are taking tough shots because defense can settle in um, and contest contest a lot. They're not getting many shots at the rim when contested. Um, but what leads what that leads to is a lot of offensive rebounding opportunities, with their, which they're really good at. Um, they're 85th um, in the country on offensive rebound percentage, so uh, very talented there. Um, and, and on the same token, they uh, struggle really, de really bad defensively rebounding. Um, one of the worst teams in the country at that, so that could really come back and hurt them because Trey Porter is someone that really attacks the glass. Same with Jordan Caroline. Uh, those two guys really go after it, even uh, Trey Sean Thurman a little bit. So that's a that's a big Achilles heel for them, uh, but they're they're able to turn team, teams over a lot, and with Nevada being able to take care of the ball, um, I think it's going to be important that they speed Nevada up and and try to uh, force them into tough decisions where they can get some steals and some easy buckets. Um, but I think an advantage Florida has against Nevada is they defend the three well. So with Nevada being a poor three-point shooting team, um, it's going to make it even harder on them. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but I think Florida has the right uh, recipe to beat Nevada. It's just I, I worry about the defensive rebounding because of the amount of shots that Nevada misses, um, it's going to be really important that they get those and don't give up uh, a lot of second-chance points. Yeah, I think for, for Florida, the the freshmen have really taken a big step forward. So uh, Andrew Nebhard, Noah Locke, Keontae Johnson, those guys have been incredible down the stretch. Um, and it's really – I think it's taken a lot of pressure off of Kevon Allen and Jalen Hudson 
Jalen Hudson, I still don't think has quite figured it out, but Kevon Allen looks a lot better. His jump shot looks better. It's starting to drop a lot more, so that's always going to make it look better. But um, I think Florida's definitely taking strides, and I think this game is tough for Nevada because of the way Florida defends and how aggressive and physical they are, um, how athletic they are at the at the big uh, positions and can kind of switch switch some ball screens. Um, they're not going to try to like. They're not going to frequently enjoy having a guy like Keith Stone or someone um, out guarding Kavarius Hayes, anyone like that. They don't Deontay Bassett. They don't want those guys guarding the Martin brothers, but um, they'll they'll be able to for short periods of time if if need be. Um, and I think that's something Nevada hasn't had a whole lot of yet this year. Also, I think the size of Nevada's guards, like the Martin brothers, are both six seven. Um, Jordan Caroline 6'7", Trey Porter 6'11", um, Thurman 6'8". So they're a big team. Uh, they play with a lot of size, and Florida's guards are pretty small. Um, Jalen Hudson's big at 6'6", but Kavon Allen 6'2". Um, Nebhardt's a big guard, 6'5". Noah Locke 6'3". And those are the guys that are going to be tasked, I think, with guarding the Martin Twins. Um, so I want to see how that size difference matters, if it affects the, the Martin Twins at all offensively or how that works out. Um, but I think Florida overall is just a better team. Uh, I trust their defense more. I like their aggressiveness and their rotations and everything. Uh, and I think that can really put Nevada in bad spots to take bad shots, and they're going to take them anyways. Um, so I think this game is pretty much going to come down to who can take the least amount of bad shots. And I think Florida has the best chance to do so because I think their defense is better than Nevada's defense. Yeah, for sure. It's Florida's coming into their own right now. Um, and even though Nevada's turnover numbers are low, uh, I think, and I've touched on this before when we covered them earlier in the season, uh, a lot of their the reason they have low turnovers is because of their shot selection. Um, take a lot of bad shots, uh, which is equivalent to a, a turnover. Uh, but where they can make up for that is crash the offensive glass because uh, Florida does struggle with that. So, it really is going to come down to rebounding, I think, and seeing if they can take care of the ball. Uh, but but I think everyone knows my pick here. Um, I think I have Florida advancing here um, to play against the winner of the 215 game here. Yeah, so we both have Florida. Um, so we'll just move on and go to Montana, Michigan. Uh, inter- interestingly, this is an exact rematch of a two fifteen matchup from last year, same exact game, uh, which led a lot of people to think that when they filled in their brackets, uh, the committee forgot to put State after Michigan in this game and that the real Michigan should be playing in Duke's bracket. Because uh, what the heck, like, why would you ever have a repeat of last year's game? I don't know, but uh, interesting, interesting choice here by the committee. Nonetheless, Montana is probably not going to pose too much of a threat to Michigan. Yeah, it, so I'll, I'll touch on Michigan here uh, pretty quickly. Um, very good defensive team, uh, right behind Texas Tech when it comes to defense efficiency. Uh, they all five players on the on the court for Michigan can play defense, they individually wise or team defense. Uh, Teske has been amazing defensively in the paint. Uh, Xavier Simpson really sets the tone guarding the ball. Um, and then Charles Matthews is probably their best one-on-one defender. So they just got length and defense all over the court, make it really difficult to score against them. Um, they take care of the ball 
Um, they force you into tough shots. You're not going to shoot well against them. You're not going to score a ton against them. You're not going to get a lot of shots uh, because they play really slow. So Michigan's main identity is to really slow it down, muck it up defensively, um, and just try to keep you under 50 and score 51 points. Um, so that's really been their, their identity there. Yeah, and Montana is pretty much the polar opposite of Michigan. They're a good offensive team and a bad defensive team. Um, they're actually top six in an effective field goal percentage of 56.6%. Shoot it pretty well from three. Shoot it a good percentage from two. Um, interestingly, don't shoot free throws well, but they have uh, five guys that shoot over 36% from three. Um, so, And three of those guys are over 42%. So um, definitely a good shooting team. Uh, I think they'll give Michigan some problems in the first half, just being able to stretch the floor and everything. But Michigan's seen this, pretty much seen the exact same team last year, um, and and I think knows what to expect. So it makes it a little bit easier on their part. And Montana doesn't pose any resistance whatsoever defensively. So Michigan's offensive woes, I don't think, will come back to bite them in this game. Um, so we both will have Michigan in this, obviously, and we'll just move right on to. The first round of 32 game from this region, which will be based on our selections, Gonzaga against Syracuse. Um, so, yeah, with this one, I had Syracuse. You had, or I had Gonzaga against Syracuse. Um, again, Gonzaga is one of the best teams in the country. Easily can win a championship this year. Um, the matchup with, with Syracuse, I think, fits them pretty well. They have shooting, um, and then between Rui and Brandon Clark um, playing inside that zone, I think they're going to break it, break up that zone pretty easily. Whether it's Rui or Brandon Clark at the foul line, either one can make plays from there, um, and it's going to give them a lot of fits, especially with Dolage and, and Chukwa. Um, those guys are long, skinny, um, but don't have the power that Brandon Clark and Rui have, so... Um, I think those two really dominate inside, and honestly, I don't think this game's close for me. I think Gonzaga's a much better team. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are going to end up picking Syracuse, to be honest, just because I think Gonzaga gets a bad rep just for being in the West, and no one, at least in the East Coast where I am, gets to watch them too much, and um, not winning their conference and all that stuff will go into it, and I don't think they'll get as much credit as they deserve, but um, I think they actually match up perfectly with Syracuse. I think, uh, I think defensively at least Norvell I think is a very good defender. I think he'll have a his hands full with Tyus Battle, but I think he'll pose enough problems for Tyus that he's not going to be uh, he's not going to be hot too soon at least. Uh, who knows with Tyus? It feels like whenever you have the best defense on him, he scores more often than not. So um, it'll be a, it'll be a tough task, but offensively is where Gonzaga needs to beat Syracuse because you have to find a way to beat that zone. And I think Gonzaga fits that mold pretty well with Rui probably playing the free throw line spot um, and then Brandon Clark in the dunker spot, and that's a deadly tag team right there. Uh, Rui will be able to knock down that free throw line jumper, break you down, go by you, lobs to Brandon Clark, um, literally anything, high lows, everything. Um, and I think Norvell will be able to space the court and knock down open, open threes even though he struggled a little bit this year. And Josh Perkins is the type of guy that will get you into your offense and then just step into a three on a kick out that he'll knock down the majority of the time. Um, so I think this is a really tough matchup for Syracuse. I don't think it's going to be a, a big blowout. Uh, I think I think Gonzaga will be like up 
a few possessions all game, but I don't think they'll be able to pull away. Just something about Syracuse in these tournaments, it just makes it difficult. Especially this would be a um, this would be the second of the second game in three days for these guys. So this is always the one where you only get one day in between to try to figure it out, and it gets kind of tough. But yeah, we both have Gonzaga in this one, um, which will bring us to our next game of Murray State against Florida State. Uh, so you have both I of them. Both I think. Of them but <laughs> I'll talk about I'll talk about Murray State here. Um, so again, obviously John Morant. Um, team that likes to go up and down um, and playing against Florida State, that's what they're going to really need to do is get away from that length by getting in transition uh, and trying to get easy shots. If they get at least 12 to 14 points in, in the fast break, that, that eases up the burden of trying to score 60 points uh, against this set defense. So um, really important for them to get out and go as soon as they get a rebound, um, either get it to Ja or, or Shaq, uh, and have those two guys really lead the break with um, Power and Tevin Brown really filling the lanes. Um, I think those four really need to be huge. All, all four of them have to have a great game to beat Florida State uh, and really shoot the ball well. Um, Tevin Brown is really their I mean, John Murray obviously is always a threat, but is really Tevin Brown's the only threat behind the three-point line. He's shooting 37% from three. Everyone else is struggling a little bit. Um, Shaq's shooting a little, little bit worse than that. Um, but they need to step up and really hit some shots against this team um, because they're, they're not quite as big as Florida State. Um, so speed in this game is important for them. Yeah, Florida State, it's just a different animal with their length. It's something Murray State hasn't really seen. Um I think, so Murray State played Alabama, and they lost by six earlier in the season. Uh, and I think Florida State's a similar team to Alabama in the way that they play. Obviously, they're better um, and, and a little bit bigger, too. But Murray State uh, didn't handle that in too well. Um, Alabama, I think Murray State as a team is better than Alabama. So I think that's a game that Murray State probably could have gotten and should have gotten. Um, but they didn't handle that too well, so that experience will probably help them out in this game. I just think Florida has too many, or Florida State has too many bodies and too much size. Um, I think their guards are gonna at least be able to bother Ja a little bit, um, as much as you can at least. They're gonna throw a lot of different people at him, a lot of bigger guards that he hasn't he doesn't face too much yet. Um, and I think they're gonna do a, a good job and get that win. So that'll have Florida State moving on, um, and then we have Buffalo uh, facing Texas Tech in a nice six three matchup here. Um, so you have Texas Tech if you want them. <laughs> okay, so with uh, Texas Tech, again, it starts with Jared Culver, but like we've talked about earlier, um, they really stepped up. Everyone else has stepped up their offensive game. Davide Moretti um, is a mini Marco Benelli. Bellinelli, he's a really good shooter. Uh, very dangerous, especially if he hits his first three. Um, it could be a long night for anyone who's playing them if he's getting hot and getting hot early. Um, but Matt Mooney has been awesome, um, especially defensively. Really sets the tone for them. He a lot of times guards their best point guard, our best ball handler, and, and really gets into them. He's strong, um, quick, really determines where the point guard's going to go. So he's been awesome to watch defensively. 
Um, and then always having the backbone of your defense beat Tariq Owens is nice just because if you get beat, which is always going to happen, you have a 6'11 guy who can block any shot anyone throws up. So always having that behind you is why I think their guards are so good defensively. They take more chances. They, they really get into people. They play a little bit harder because they, have, they know they have that help. Um, so with them playing against Buffalo, I think Mooney and Jared Culver are taking out basically Jeremy Harris and um, C.J. Massenburg is going to be really tough for Buffalo to respond because I don't think Nick Perkins can really ca carry him through Texas Tech. Um, so I think Texas Tech just overwhelms, overwhelms Buffalo defensively. Um, and unlike all year for Buffalo, they can't really come back in that second half when they're down in the first. Yeah, I think this is going to be a really good game, a really close game. Um, but I think I agree with you on pretty much everything you said. I think this is just a whole different animal for Buffalo. Um, Texas Tech, I'm a little, uh, like I said, I'm a little worried about them just with that loss to West Virginia, but I'm trying to talk myself out of it. Um, I think the three seeds in all the brackets this year are really important. Uh, you have teams like LSU, Houston, uh, Texas Tech, and I think the other one's Purdue, but all of which just haven't, like, they're, it can go either way with them. And I think that the three, the three line, if you can get the three line right in your brackets, um, I think you're in really good shape. But, yeah, I think, like you said, Massenburg and Jeremy Harris are obviously the key to Buffalo. And I think that Culver will do a good job on Harris. And I think uh, Mooney will do a good job on Massenburg. And it's going to make it tough for Buffalo to have too much success. Uh, but they're a competitive team. They're a tough, tough group. And I think they're going to keep it close and competitive into the second half. I just think Culver makes more plays, and Reddy has a good game and knocks down plenty of jump shots. So we'll both have Texas Tech advancing in that game. All right, so now we have Florida and Michigan in our, what is this, Sweet 16 matchup? Nope, just kidding, round 32. Yep. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. <laughs> got a little ahead of myself already. Um, so so I'm going to take, take Florida here. Michael has Michigan. So Florida, for me, Florida is based on their defense. Um, I think their off, I think their offense gets better when their defense is good. Um, they're a top fifteen defense, ranked fourteenth right now, uh, giving up ninety one point nine points per hundred possessions. So, pretty solid for college basketball. Um, they also played in a loaded conference with a lot of offensive firepower in the SEC. So I think that number is even better than it looks on paper. Um, but offensively, like we said, they're really struggling. They don't shoot it well from three at all. Uh, and they don't shoot it well from really anywhere, including the free throw line, too, anywhere. Uh, I think a lot of that comes from just taking bad shots. But in this matchup with Michigan, uh, both teams are very defense-oriented. Uh, both teams have the same style of guards that are strong, physical, athletic guards. Um, can make and take tough shots, but it seems like they take more than they make. Um, so that's a little bit of a problem for me. I think Florida, in order to win this game, Florida would need a big game from Jalen Hudson or Kevon Allen, ideally both of them. Um, I think Nebhard needs to just try to calm himself down and control tempo as much as possible against Xavier Simpson, who's analytically, I think, one of the top five point guards um, defensively in the country. So that's an important matchup for this game. A, a veteran guard against Andrew Nebhard is, is a little scary because Nebhard's a freshman and kind of new to this whole thing. Uh, but... I think Florida has the firepower for offense, just like Michigan. They both have enough firepower to be good offensively. They just haven't put it together yet. Um, and I think the bigs from Florida 
are significantly better than the bigs from from Michigan. Teske's not a huge fan. Uh, I think he's just a big body and a solid rim protector and defender. Uh, but I like I like Florida's bigs a lot. Even losing Keith Stone to an ACL injury for the rest of the year is tough. But um, guys like Isaiah Stokes and uh, Dante Bassett are just massive bodies that come off the bench. Don't even play a ton, but they're just there and can help out. Um, Kavarius Hayes is huge, great, good size, good athleticism. Uh, and then even Keontae Johnson's only 6'5", but I could see a nice matchup with him and um, Iggy, and I think he can control that with his size and his, and his uh, strength. Just kind of bully Iggy around a little bit, dunk on him a few times, make me happy. Um, but I think this is the type of game where wh- whoever can get their offense to where it's at least average, I think, has the best chance to win because I think the defenses will cancel each other out. Yeah, their defenses are, are very similar in the way the style that they play. They like to be physical, um, force you into things that you're not comfortable doing. Uh, and that's really where their defense is founded on. Um, with Michigan, uh, I think it comes down to matchups, and Florida doesn't have enough guys to cover um, the offensive firepower that Michigan does have. Uh, and has the potential to have. So if you look at matchups, I think Xavier Simpson guards Kevon Allen and um, a Jordan Poole will guard Andrew Nemhart. I think that's how they're going to match up in the front, in the backcourt. Uh, and then Hayes will most likely guard either Iggy or, or Charles Matthews. Um, and then if they have Noah Locke out there, um, he's undersized to guard either one of those guys. Um, so I think Michigan just has more size and capability offensively um, to overpower some of uh, the Florida guards. So I think that's what the matchup's going to come down to is what what matchup gets exploited. So if Andrew Nemhart's able to, to really work Jordan Poole, um, make Jordan Poole work hard defensively where his shot's short because his leg's um, then Michigan could be in some serious trouble. Because um, I think if Jordan Poole isn't playing well, uh, the other guys aren't going to play well either. He kind of sets the tone offensively. Um, if Michigan's going to play well offensively, he's playing well. Um, so I, I really think it comes down to matchups, um, and especially that Nemhard-Jordan Poole matchup. Um, Nemhard will probably guard um, Jordan Poole defensively too. I just think with size purposes. I don't think Xavier Simpson's going to be guarding a 6'5 point guard when he's barely six foot. Um, but that could really hinder Florida's offensive ability if Kevon Allen can't get going. And Jalen Hudson is just wildly inconsistent. Um, that I don't trust him in this game. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to look at Michigan's like schedule and try to find a team similar to Florida that they've struggled with, but it really hasn't happened. Their losses are to Wisconsin, Iowa, Penn State, Michigan State three times. Um, I think Penn State's pretty similar to Florida, um, but that was just a six-point loss on the road at Penn State. Michigan didn't play their best game, gave up a ton of points, uh, and that was more Lamar Stevens just going crazy. Um, and I don't think Lamar Stevens' role is, is – or yeah, Lamar Stevens' role is played by um, – probably Keontae Johnson, and he's not quite to the level Lamar Stevens is. Um, 
just a freshman. He's still got a long way to grow. But uh, I think, unfortunately, I think Michigan's going to win this game also. I feel like, like I would like to pick Florida, but I'm not even confident like Florida's going to get out of that first round unscathed. Um, I think if I was more confident in that matchup against Nevada, I think they're going to beat Nevada. Like I would bet money they would beat Nevada. But I could also see Florida just laying an absolute dud and not even getting to the second game. So that even hurts their chances even more. Um, but, yeah, I think Michigan's just the better team. I hate going all chalk, but I've said all year long, I feel like this year is just all chalk as it is because I think there's a clear clear dissection of talent in the NCAA this year where, like, you get past top ten teams and you're really searching for a chance. Yeah, it's going to take a lot for Florida to win. Like, they have the, the talent to do it. They have, have the coaching. They have everything in place. It's just nothing ever felt like it was going right all at the same time for them all season. And if this is the start of the SEC tournament, I may be a little bit more optimistic for Florida um, because things started going well. They were playing much closer games, even though they lost the last three. Um, all of them were within a few possessions, and they looked a lot better um, on the court. So just, just not, I don't have enough faith in their ability to bring it all together. And now um, when you're playing new teams that you haven't played all year, um, getting new looks on a big stage. Um, so, I, yeah, I think Michigan wins this one. All right, so that will bring us to the Sweet 16 where the games will be held in Anaheim, California. And our first matchup is going to be Gonzaga against Florida State. This is also a rematch of last year. Um, Gonzaga was a one seed. Florida State was, I can't remember if they were eight or nine. I think nine. But they ended up knocking out Gonzaga in the second round um, and made their way all the way to the Elite Eight where they faced Michigan. So there's a chance of another rematch. I've, the more I go through these brackets, the more rematches I find of last year. And it's getting kind of scary. But um, So I, I'll take... Uh, you can have Gonzaga here. I'll take Florida State. All right. Um, perfect. So this is definitely a big revenge game for them. Um, I think they took Florida State, Florida State pretty lightly um, last year uh, and then got punched in the mouth early in that game and just really never recovered. Um, I think they take this really seriously. Uh, like I said with Josh Perkins, the level of focus Gonzaga has right now uh, is unbelievable. I, I think they're a team that is on a mission. They're, they want to get to the Final Four. They want to get to that championship game and, and finally win it. Um, so I, I think Mark Few gets these guys fired up uh, for, for this Florida State rematch uh, and, and really take it to them. Um, I think they get a big lead early, but Florida State fights back and Gonzaga just holds on. Yeah, I mean, Gonzaga last year um, was significantly different without Brandon Clark. Um, they didn't have the size, I think, and the ability with the size to compete with a team like Florida State who just sends just length on length on length at you um, and come in with tons of depth off the bench. Tons of Every single one of their guards, except for David Nichols, is the exact same size and they play the exact same way. Um, the only thing that really worries me about Florida State is just their ability to consistently knock down threes. Um, they have two two guys that I think are, well, I guess Kofer is pretty solid with it too. Um, he can shoot a little bit. 
And then uh, David Nichols, I think, is a good shooter, even though he's only shooting 31%, so maybe I should not say that out loud. Um, and then <laughs> <laughs> I did not did not expect that. And then Devin Vassell is a freshman. They've recently started playing um, over the last, like, month of the season just to add some more shooting and length and everything into the lineup. Uh, and, and he's shooting 44% from three on 57 attempts, so he can shoot it. Terrence Mann's had a pretty uh, efficient year from three this year also, but I promise you he's not, a, he's not really a shooter. Um, and I honestly think Kevin Gelly is their most consistent option from behind the arc. So um, I think they, pro- they definitely provide an interesting matchup for Florida State. Um, I think for this Gonzaga team, or sorry, for Gonzaga, I think this Gonzaga team is, um, is built to handle Florida State much better this year than they did last year. Uh, I think the key will be for Gonzaga for this whole tournament run, I think, is can Perkins and Norvell consistently knock down jump shots? Unless you want to rely on Killian Tilly to go 15 of 15 or whatever the hell he did last year in the West Coast Conference again. Um, but I think your best option for Gonzaga will be Zach Norvell having just being playing to his capability and knocking down jump shots. He's had a little bit of a rough patch this year, but he's definitely a good shooter. And I think for him, he's a big shot taker and he's a big shot maker. Um, and I think he'll continue to rise as the games get bigger and bigger. So I'm going with Gonzaga too. And honestly, for Gonzaga to go through their first few games and have to knock off Syracuse and Florida State just to get the Elite Eight, that would be a heck of a run already for them. Yeah, and that's another reason that I think that they're they're ready to do it. Um, they're going to be playing tough teams early, and that gets them ready. And I think uh, Syracuse and, and Florida State, they provide a similar physical battle, uh, really mental battle too, because they're playing – Syracuse is playing in zone, so it's frustrating. You can't just take someone one-on-one because there's a two to three defenders behind him. Uh, then you go into Florida State where it's big, long, physical. Your shots are getting blocked at the rim. Uh, so it's a big mental game for them. And I think by the time that they get to the to the lead eight um, and spoiler alert, final four, uh, <laughs> I think they're going to be ready to uh, to really get to that national championship game. Um, but yeah, I think, like you said, they're definitely more equipped this year than last year because of the addition of Brandon Clark has been massive. It, he really just replaced Killian Tilly, and he's significantly better. Um, again, nothing against Killian Tilly. He's a good, solid college player. Speak for uh, yourself. But what Brandon Clark... Speak for yourself. <laughs> 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 um, but Brandon Clark what he's able to do on, on the asphalt court on both sides of it, uh, it really is going to put them over the top. And I think that's the most underrated factor when people think about Gonzaga. I don't think they recognize how good Brandon Clark is as a player. Yeah. Um, so yeah. They're, they're number one pretty much. They're consistently top three no matter what metric you look at offensively. Um, but I think this year their defense is the difference because Brandon Clark is their defense. I mean, he's the anchor. He's just so solid inside. He can defend multiple positions. He's quick on his feet. He's athletic. He, I think he's. I think he blocks Zion like two or three times in that Maui Invitational game, and I still have yet to see anyone even contest Zion the way he did. Um, and then also Josh Perkins is a really good on-ball defender. So I think their defense has taken them over the top this year from that. 
also, before we move on really quick, I we somehow went through the whole first round and didn't mention that Baylor has a player that's Mo Bamba's long-lost cousin named Flo Thamba. <laughs> and I don't know how we missed that one, but... That, that one's on me. I should have <laughs> pointed that out. I did have Baylor. Um, yeah, it's a truly remarkable um, that Baylor <laughs> has a guy named Flo Thamba. <laughs> Um, certainly not not as good. Um, not yet. He's only he's still a freshman. Definitely. He's he's got a long way to go. Yeah, um, and really hasn't played much uh, this year. Uh, not playing consistent minutes at least. But yeah, keep an eye out on him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really looking forward to Sheck West's song about him in a couple of years when he goes to the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Gonzaga is just. Uh, I think they're clearly the best team in this in this bracket. Uh, even though they don't bring a ton off the bench, I mean they have Killian Tilly and Gino Crandell, um, who Gino I really like because he's just that player that every championship team needs. Like, just a guy that comes off the bench, defends like heck, really going to bother some guards, and is really strong, and, and will occasionally hit a shot. Um, but doesn't need to touch the ball. So I think someone like that is important to have off the bench as well as a, a stretch five. So I think they, they really have a solid team. Um, plus, Petras is, is, gives them some size, some more size off the bench. Um, and then Jeremy Jones just gives them a little change up. So uh, I really like this Gonzaga team. Yeah, I like Petrasev too. I think he's, he's still young and he's very raw, but um, I think he's... He has the ability to knock down a little mid-range face-up jumper, and he's pretty crafty with the ball. Um, he can take people by surprise, so I think just having him as an extra extra big, uh, if Rui needs a quick blow or something, just protect him with Brandon Clark on defense and give him a couple minutes. But uh, they have an embarrassment of riches for sure. They've done Mark Pugh's done a good job of putting that roster together. So we both have Gonzaga advancing to the Elite Eight in Anaheim. Our next Sweet 16 matchup is Texas Tech against Michigan. Um, so Texas Tech's the three seed, Michigan's the two. Since you just had Michigan, you take Texas Tech, and I'll take Michigan this time. Okay. Um, so Texas Tech, again, we've talked at length about them um, on this podcast. But, uh, again, going to reiterate that that defense is going to carry them. Uh, but their offense is going to as it can go. So it's... All right, so there isn't an NBA University podcast unless there's a technical <laughs> difficulty. Um, so I apologize for that. You have no it, idea how is. hard this really is. It's infinitely <laughs> harder than anyone would expect. Yeah, and if you have seen what we've gone through to get this podcast <laughs> recorded. Um, anyway, uh, so I was talking a little bit about Texas Tech's offense and um, how they've changed and what they do is they run a horn set. So have basically Odassier, um and Tariq Owens uh, on the elbows with they kind of buried Davide Moretti in the corner. Um, typically it's going to be on ball side because of how well he's shooting. Um, and then it'll be either Matt Mooney or Jared Culver handling the ball. Uh, and they 
bury the other person in the other corner. So two corners, two elbows. Um, they run a double ball screen where those two bigs come up to the top of the key, try to get pretty high above the top of the key, probably a two feet or so above the three-point line, and have them come off the screen. And what happens is Tariq Owens will pop up to the top, and Odassier will dive hard um, and force the bigs to really communicate who takes the top, who takes the dive guy. Um, and having Culver or Matt Mooney with the, some speed going downhill forces guys in the corner to help off of, and then it's an easy three in the corner. So they've really adjusted that to where it used to be a flat ball screen kind of below the three-point line to now extend it. And that's been causing a lot of teams' um, problems because if Jarrett Culver has a lane, he's going to take it. He's going to get to the rim. Um, and if you help off Moretti, Mooney, Tariq Owens, is going to hit a pop-up three. So um, they've been really dangerous with that. And if they're able to continue that, um, especially with Michigan, um, really putting Teskin a ton of ball screens um, and having – guy like Odase dive through that um, and really challenge Iggy to try to recover um, to the top of the key, I think is going to put Michigan in a, a, a lot of binds. And I think Texas Tech wins this game because of that offensive adjustment they made midseason. Yeah, I think, I think um, Michigan's defense is good when it's set and when it's in, like, initial help. But I haven't seen a ton of them – I haven't seen a ton of Michigan having to help the helper and like continue that. Um, I think I think teams like get get on the initial ball side and uh, maybe try to attack off a couple initial passes and then one help comes and they kind of pull it out and try something new. Um, I haven't seen a ton of teams really go at the helper, um, and I think. Iowa or Iowa State, Jesus! I'm just thinking of Iowa State trying to go to the Final Four. I've been trying to get that in my head all day long, but Texas Tech, will, with the way that they, with the offense you just described, um, they'll be able to kind of isolate that helper and attack him, and then kick out to shooters like Moretti um, and and Mooney, and I think Culver is going to have himself a field day because I think I don't think he's going to have a 30 point game, but I think he can have like a 15 to 20-point game and 7-8 assists um, in a low-scoring battle because I don't think Michigan's going to be able to score a lick on uh, Texas Tech. So even if Texas Tech struggles a little bit offensively in this game, which I think they might, um, I don't think Michigan will be able to score on Texas Tech at all. Uh, and, I mean, Michigan's the number two defense in, in terms of adjusted efficiency, and uh, Texas Tech's number one. So this is the type of game where – there's going to be probably five shot clock violations throughout the game and just just absolutely <laughs> abysmal offense at times. But it's more just great defense. Um, so I, I'm, a, I'm with you. I think Texas Tech wins. Um, I'm not going to lie. There's a little bias in that pick. But <laughs> I do think Texas Tech is, has the better defense and the better offense. Um, I think Michigan has a better coach. No offense to Chris Beard. I think he's a great coach. But... John Beeline just has some magic these last few years. Um, but I just want to point out, Michigan was literally a Rob Gray shot and then Jordan uh, Poole's crazy buzz beater away last year from not even advancing out of the second round. So, um, Can you not remind me of that? I had Houston <laughs> win in that game, and I came in second because of that. They, 
I think for all um, intents and purposes, they did win that game. So I, I'm with you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think what Texas Tech is really going to do is try to exploit Jordan Poole and Nagy on defense, really attack them. Um, so basically, whoever Jordan Poole's guarding, which is likely going to be Davide Moretti, put him in the corner on ball side and make him make a choice and then have Iggy be the one guarding the ball or the ball screen um, and make them, those two figure it out. Uh, uh, Simpson's going to be guarding the ball no matter what. Um, it's going to be Simpson on, on Matt Mooney and Charles Matthews on Jared Culver. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see Texas Tech going after those matchups. And I think on the other end, um, they're going to try to attack Davide Moretti, but I think he's a good enough defender. Um, and the way they play team defense with Tariq Owens in the back, uh, I don't think Michigan has an angle that Texas Tech has of exploiting matchups. Um, but with that being said, we'll, we'll jump into the Elite Eight, uh, which I really hope this matchup happens. Uh, I really enjoy watching these two teams play in Gonzaga versus Texas Tech. Uh, they have some interesting matchups where Texas Tech has strength in the backcourt, Gonzaga has it in the front court. Um, so who do you want to take and talk uh, through this matchup? I say we both just talk about both of them since we've just been kind of – we switched off and each had one of these teams the last, like, 20 minutes, it feels like. Um, so so I think this this is an interesting matchup. What, if, because, what? I was just going to say, what if we do it this way? We just go through each individual matchup through the starters and – talk through it that way that works so point guards will look at Zaver, um Xavier Simpson first Matt Mooney are you sure because um, we're talking about you... Texas Tech against Gonzaga yeah we are <laughs> 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 oh boy it's been a long day um so, so Josh Perkins and um Josh Matt Perkins Mooney. versus Matt Mooney <laughs> Xavier okay. Simpson's gonna Go be in the crowd talk. watching him yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Cheater. All right. Um, so these this is kind of a different different type of style. Matt Mooney's a big. Uh, I don't think Matt Mooney's a true point guard. To be honest, I think he he fills this role at Texas Tech mostly just because he's like the only guy that's ever had the ball in his hands and like officiated and tried to get through an offense. But um, I think this matchup is close to a wash just because uh, Matt Mooney's a really solid defender. Obviously, the whole Texas Tech team is, but he's a very good on-ball defender. Uh, he does a great job of getting through pick, pick and rolls, getting through screens, helping. Uh, he, I mean, he really checks off pretty much every box. And uh, Josh Perkins is a, is a point guard that I think at times is turnover prone. Um, I don't think... I'm I'm not sure he would turn over the ball too much in in the game against Texas Tech with Matt Mooney's ball pressure, but I think at times uh, if he can be sped up, he's susceptible to turn it over a little bit. Um, I think I think for me this this would be a watch. I'm not a huge Josh Perkins guy. Uh, I'm also not a huge Matt Mooney guy. As I've said before, I think he needs to step up a little bit more and really take that third role um, and and help out Moretti and Culver more. But I think this matchup, just I, could, I would chalk it up as a wash and just hope that both play their capable games. And I think if that's the case, they would help both their teams. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree on that. I think they're going to have their standard game of about nine points, five or six assists, a few rebounds, and just play hard on defense. So I think, yeah, like you said, it's a wash, um, which that moves us to. I'm going to try to get the right teams this time. <laughs> um, <laughs> Davide Moretti versus um, Zach Norvell. Um, this is an interesting one to me. Um, you have both are uh, Norvell's a junior, sophomore, or sophomore, sophomore. So yeah, they're both sophomores. Um, both are kind of young and gun, like run and gun type of players. They just get in, kind of. It's going up if they have some space, uh, especially from three point line. So it's this matchup's really going to come down to who can shoot a little better, um, and. Moretti has been on fire, uh, really, at the end of the season. And I think that continues through the tournament. So if he gets any sort of space, he's going to knock it down. And he's he's near shooting 100% from the, the corner on open three. So um, I think he's going to be really dangerous uh, in, in this matchup. And I think he has a slight edge against Norvell, who is streaky and, and tends to take tougher threes uh, than Moretti. Yeah, um, here's your difference. Moretti's their best shooter on Texas Tech. I don't think it's close. He might be the best shooter in the country, shooting 48% on 134 threes. Um, Norvell is also the best shooter on his team, taking 231 threes and shooting 37, 38%. Um, that's still really good, but Moretti should be shooting that many threes, and he still probably would be shooting 48%. And, yeah, like you said, Norvell, um, he's going to take – he's got that Clay Thompson-type shot where – he feels like he's always open, so the ball's going up pretty much no matter what, as long as he feels he's in rhythm. Um, and I haven't really seen a game where he hasn't felt like he was in rhythm yet. So I think uh, offensively, I would take Moretti. I think Zach Norvell has ability to be a really good defender. Um, I think Moretti's numbers are probably better. I forget that absurd number you told me about his defensive efficiency. That was, <laughs> like something in the 80s. Oh, yeah, is, he, was, he was the worst. Um, he had the worst defensive rating on the team or in the starting lineup, and he um, was at I think eighty four or something like that, <laughs> 80, just, giving up eighty four points per hundred possessions. Yeah, that's absurd. So um, he, even though I think Norvell is probably the better defender, I think the numbers would support Moretti with that one. Um, I think this if Norvell plays his best game, I think this is another one that would be a wash. But I think Moretti's consistently been really solid. Um, especially down the stretch, like you said. So I think I would lean Texas Tech in this shooting guard matchup. But Norvell's capable of having a massive game, and especially in a big stage like he would be here in the Elite Eight in Anaheim. Yeah, for sure. So that that brings us to, um, I think, the the most lopsided uh, matchup here. Um, No offense to Corey Kispert. Um, He's a starting small forward uh, at Gonzaga. Plays really hard, really good glue guy, um, but go against, going against uh, a top five player in the country, and Jared Culver. Um, defender, um, really came off the bench last year in their run and, and played really tough defense. Wasn't much of an option on offense, but this year it's really, really stepped up offensively, um, showing the ability to put the ball on the floor and get to the rim. Um, while also knocking down jumpers. So um, just Jarrett Culver's growth um, and how special he is. Um, obviously, he wins this for Texas Tech, but 
Corey Kispert is going to make it very difficult um, for Culver in this matchup. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a huge Kispert fan. Uh, I think he's the I think he's a good fifth starter for for Gonzaga, and he does all the little things. He makes the hustle plays. He also is a pretty good shooter, um, and I think he does enough to to be like that glue fill that glue role. Um, that I think really other than Brandon Clark, I think Gonzaga misses that a little bit in their starting lineup at least. Geno Crandall brings the same thing off the bench, but those guys are interchangeable for me, um, and. Jared Culver went from being maybe the fourth, but probably the fifth option last year on a really, really good Texas Tech team to being the absolute dude on this Texas Tech team and did not skip a beat. Uh, I mean, I heard an interview recently of Chris Beard still saying, like, he has to tell Culver, like, dude, do something. Like, you are the guy. The ball's in your hands. Go make a play. Go <laughs> shoot it. Please shoot it every time. Like, he's has, he has to beg Culver to be aggressive. Um, and I think that's just because Culver's a young, he's, so, he's a sophomore. Last year he didn't get a ton of big minutes just because the team was loaded with uh, experience and a lot of talent ahead of him. Um, and now he's like kind of just slowly growing into his role and he's still figuring it out, which I think is incredible because I really feel he's going to be in the top three of um, player of the year voting. So obviously Jared Culver wins this matchup, but like you said, Kispert, it's kind of a lopsided just because Kispert is – the roles for each player are so drastically different. Like, Kispert is just supposed to star in his role and Culver is supposed to be the dude. So, um, that's a little a little bias. Yeah, but that, that brings us to where Gonzaga really dominates. Um, so, I guess power forward, I would put Rui um, Hachimara against Tariq Owens. Uh, and Tree Owens is a really, really good defensive player. Um, blocks a ton of shots, is really long athletic, and has mobile feet, able to guard off of a pick and roll. Um, and can on offensive, offensively, he can knock down an outside jumper. Uh, he can put the ball on the floor a little bit, um, not comfortable, totally comfortable doing that. Uh, but like I mentioned earlier in that, that pick and roll, that double pick and roll, he's the one popper to the top. Um, it gets a lot of open threes from that. So he's very good in his own right, but Rui um, has been dominant all year long. Um, really started at the end of last year where he started to come on. Uh, but he's just big, thick, strong forward, able to put it on the floor, shoot it, um, defends really well. Um, just does everything Tariq Gowen does, just slightly better besides shot blocking shots. Um, and he's just more consistent. So I think uh, Rui easily wins this one. Yeah, I think Rui is definitely the better player. I think it's an interesting matchup because uh, Tariq Evans is so quick on his feet and so light on his feet and can really get off the ground. Um, so I think I'd be inter interested to see how Rui handles his length and his, his uh, explosiveness off the ground because Rui struggled. I'm thinking of the Carolina game when it wasn't like Luke May and, and – uh, uh, why did I just forget his, what's Brooks's first name? Garrison. Yep, thank you. Um, they, they like aren't they're not the same player as Owens, but they were quick to Rui and they were quick to bother him. Um, and I think that like Rui's a type of player that you can tell is still thinking through his offense a little bit and still trying to figure it out. He's more reactive than just like going and playing. Um, and I think as he continues to get used to the style of play. He'll, he'll figure that out really quickly. He's already taken off 
exponentially faster than I think anyone expected. Um, but Rui is definitely in this matchup. I just want to see how he reacts to Owen's size because I don't think Rui's really faced anyone. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that Tariq Owens is about 180 pounds soaking wet. Um, <laughs> so that's going to be interesting to see um, how uh, how that matchup works out. If Rui can really be physical and dominant that way, um, I think it can be really lopsided. But if um, Tariq Owens, he's pretty good at avoiding contact and still using his length to alter shots or block it. So... Um, I'm really excited for that matchup. But um, Texas Tech has changed their lineup once um, this whole year, or I guess twice, um, but that once was because of injury. Um, Brandon Francis has started one game, um, but I think they're going to go big just to match up. And so that would leave um, Norman Adase against um, Brandon Clark. And, again, we've talked at length about how good Brandon Clark is. Adasia is just a, a good, solid big. He kind of reminds me of that, like, Syracuse mold of a big, um, where he's you just put him in the middle. Uh, he blocks shots. He's going to put back. He has a lot of putbacks. Uh, you don't, don't give him the ball in the post. He's just sort of there to clean up messes and be that anchor on defense. Um, but I, I, I think Brandon Clark is just a lot better. And I think because of Brandon Clark's, athleticism they may put Tariq Owens on him um, but either way uh, Rui and Brandon Clark are gonna cause a lot of problems for those two yeah I think Brandon Clark takes this one pretty easily too um, Odiasi's I think kind of like to compare someone we talked about today I think he could be like a, a bigger version of Theo John not quite as good defensively but just screen just like rim run um, basically just try to draw attention to yourself and take the attention off the other guys um, but not actually, like, make plays with the ball. Um, and he's also a little prone to foul trouble. So Brandon Clark, I have many visions of him catching on short corner or elbow pump faking and getting a very aggressive and one dunk. Um, I think I think Brandon <laughs> like, Clark, this might be the wait. most, yeah, this might be the most unfair advantage matchup, I think, of this game um, outside of Kispert and Jarrett Culver, which is just the nature of those two players. But, Brandon Clark, I think, is honestly he might be the most underrated player in college basketball. That I've still from that Maui he game, is. that Maui game against Duke, <laughs> I still have nightmares over how good he was in that game. Yeah, no, he's definitely the most underrated. Um, so that that essentially is a, a wash in the starting lineup. Um, the two front court guys for Gonzaga, Moretti and Culver for Texas Tech, and then the wash between Mooney and Perkins. So that leaves us to the bench. Um, oh, baby. <laughs> both have relative, both have relatively light benches. Um, Texas Tech has Kyler Edwards. Uh, I'm a freshman guard who's um, been pretty inconsistent all year. Uh, has capability of being really, really good, um, but hasn't put it together for the entire season. Um, and then Deshaun Corpru, I believe that's I, I don't know if it's French or whatever, but <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> um, um, he's just another wing that they bring out there, sort of eat up some minutes. And then someone who's been, I've been really impressed with lately, at least on the defensive end, is Brandon Francis. Uh, really causes havoc. He's got good size. He's 6'5", 215. Um, really built. 
and can hit, can guard point guards um, one through basically four. He can de- defend. Um, so he's probably their biggest um, player off the bench. Um, and then you look at Gonzaga, um, Killian Tilly, if, um, again, Crandell, and then um, Petra, um how is his name? I just pulled Pet- it blank. Petrosev. Petrosev and Jeremy Jones. So um, I think I'm going to give the slight advantage uh, to Gonzaga because I think those four are better than those three. Um, but you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I'm giving that to Gonzaga, too. I think, uh, I mean, I've been very vocal about what I think of Killian Tilly, but of all the players we've mentioned and the benches of these two teams, Killian Tilly is probably the best player. Um, and then I think I think Gonzaga, like with Crandall, I think he's probably the second best player. Um, and then I guess Brandon Francis and uh, Petrusev are pretty close behind, but... Um, I think Gonzaga just has more options off the bench, and I think their players off the bench fit the the team and the roles better. Um, where you can spell uh, Rui or Brandon Clark with Killian Tilly and Philip Petrusev, um, and then Crandall can come in and, and help out with Norvell. If he's, say, Norvell's guarding the best player uh, and he's getting tired, Crandall can come in as their best defender probably on the team and take over that role. Um, really the only thing they lack is a true backup point guard, but I don't think that really matters. Josh Perkins is pretty capable of playing the whole game and doesn't doesn't get in foul trouble too frequently. Um, so I think Kentucky definitely has a better bench. I also think that the they're, even though it's a wash in terms of positions uh, in the starting lineup, I think they have an advantage in the starting lineup just because I think Rui and uh, Brandon Clark are significantly better than the bigs for Texas Tech. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, and I, I, the point guard thing isn't a big deal for Gonzaga, uh, but I think the size thing for Texas Tech is more of a bigger deal. Um, Odassier and Owens is really their own true si- their only true size at play. Um, and the Gonzaga starts Rui and Brandon Clark, who are both um, Clark's listed at six eight, Rui's at six nine, uh, and then they bring in two six eleven guys. So. Um, and plus Jeremy Jones is six seven. I mean, they have a lot more size than Texas Tech, so I think that's a bigger deal. Um, it gives Gonzaga definitely an advantage on the bench. Yeah, and interestingly, I really like a lot of the three seeds, like LSU, um, Texas Tech, and Houston, and those are probably three of the teams that like I could see losing by 10 to the 14 seeds in the first round or winning their region. <laughs> So that's really nerve-wracking for me because I'm seriously struggling. Yeah, no, that's that's been the hardest part um, because the 14 seats, for me, yeah, I think have been really good. Um, or they're very competitive. So, um, but yeah, that, that wraps up the West. Um, we'll talk about Gonzaga-Duke um, at the end of the, the fourth part of this series here. Uh, but that's the West. Um, we have Gonzaga coming out, and it's a tough route for them, but um, we think we can they can handle it pretty easily. Yeah, to give us yet another rematch, which would be Duke against Gonzaga in Minneapolis. Um, as a fun fact, the Final Four has been in Minnesota twice, 1991, 2001. Guess who cut down the nets both times? Unfortunately, it's Duke. And, uh... <laughs> Third time's the charm. Trey Jones is from Minnesota. Let's get it done. 
and I told you over the last 10 years, when Duke hits 29 wins at the end of the season, um, which I think they went to 30 with the ACC, right? No, that was, uh, I think that was 29. How many? We're tw- no, we're 29 and 5. 29 and 5, right where we need to be. Oh, right. So when Duke uh, hits the 29 win mark, they've won the national championship both times. Um, <laughs> so a lot of history is behind Duke in winning this. Um, this year, so book and, uh, it. And I'm sure, I'm sure, as you guys can guess, you know who our national champion is. <laughs> um, I feel like yeah, I should pick uh, against I, them just so I don't do anything in terms of basketball karma or any of that crap. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's hard to pick against them right now, <laughs> but especially with Bolden back. Anyway, um, I have no idea how long this is. It's probably way too long. I'm um, like I said. I'm yeah. just hoping there's words on it. <laughs> yeah, so this is the first time Zach recorded, so blame him. So when we do this podcast all over again tomorrow night, and don't blame us for the West being super short since we'll be sick of talking about them. Um, so, but that that wraps up our left side of the bracket with uh, Duke facing Gonzaga in the Final Four. We're going to move over to the right side now, uh, and we're going to try to do the loaded Midwest first because the South is a little self-explanatory. Um, I have confidence that if you've watch any college basketball you could at least do decent in the south but the midwest is the one that has lots of hand grenades in there Uh, so that's going to be hopefully tomorrow we'll have that done and then finish up by wednesday uh and you will have all you need to make your bracket yep so here's uh dj zenas to take us out and to bring us in